The Lord's Supper is God's love meal. They, they call it the agape feast in Corinth. And that love from God creates a love inside of you to love other people. Welcome to Tell Podcasts. You're listening to encouraging words from Pastor Don, bringing you truth and peace through God's Word. In this episode, we discuss the Lord's Supper and its meaning. We take a close look at this sacrament and gain a greater understanding and appreciation for Holy Communion and God's love for us. Think, evaluate, learn, lead. T-E-L-L. Tell. Now here's Pastor Don with The Lord's Supper Proclaims the Perfect Sacrifice. Thanks for listening. Christianity grew and grows out of Judaism. I just said a mouthful. Huge, heartful. A Bible full. Two-thirds of the Bible is the Old Testament. Two-thirds of the Bible is still studied by Jewish people calling it the Hebrew Scriptures, originally written in Hebrew, so they call it the Hebrew Scriptures. Two-thirds of the Bible is about the religion that God handed down to Moses in the second book of the two-thirds, called Exodus. When Moses went up on Mount Sinai and came down with the Ten Commandments, you might not remember that he also had written on scrolls all of the 613 ceremonial and moral and Levitical laws that were supposed to go along with the Ten Commandments. He came down from the mountain. He said he killed some bull calves and and because the people said, we'll follow the agreement, the covenant. And he read all of the Ten Commandments and the 613 laws. And he read them all to the Israelites. And they said, we will do it. We'll make God our God. And man, did they not really realize what they were agreeing to. So Moses said, we're going to have a ceremony that inaugurates this day, the beginning of this relationship, this defined religion. He kills some bull calves. He sprinkles the blood on the people. And then he turns and sprinkles it on the stone piles of stone altars that he's made. And this is what he says. This is the blood of the covenant between us. When Jesus held up that cup in the Lord's Supper, and we'll refer to that in a little bit, this is the blood of the covenant. You know I have to start there because it's where we left off, but it's also about the blood of Christ. The sacrificial system of Judaism was life-consuming. It was life-altering. It was life-affecting. It, it was culturally isolating you from all other peoples because you're always killing your animals for God. You and all your families and all of your group and all of your religion and your high priest, killing your calves, killing your sheep, killing your goats, picking out the best one. Most of them probably had names. Families giving them up, kids crying, dad grabbing the lamb and, or the goat or the, or the bull calf and taking it over to the priest at the temple, never to be seen again. Kids sometimes walking by the court of Israel and peeking in and they can see from the spillage of blood and offal everywhere and the burning smell of flesh, they can see what happened to their family pet every year at least. 
probably four or five times during the year. There was a sacrifice. You had an unintentional sin against others. God said, if you realize that you've sinned against somebody and you want to go to the priest to get rid of the guilt or the sin, and those were two different sacrifices, guilt offering, sin offering, you take a goat or you take a lamb or you take a bull and you take it to the priest and, and you pick a, a non-defective one and the best, right? So their agricultural mind of the head of the house is affected because he's got to take the best, which get, leaves the best genetics uh, for God instead of the herd or the flock. But consume them. It was overwhelmingly emotionally exasperating. It filled their lives. Sacrifice and sacrifice and sacrifice. And you know what was the biggest part of it? It didn't ever finish. I remember watching our boys play soccer and, and the, they're, they're, the kids are moving down the field with the soccer ball, right? And the coach would yell out from the sideline, finish, <laughs> don't stop, get the ball in the net. Sacrifices never finished giving people forgiveness. They had this one sacrifice, you know about it. It's called the sacrifice of atonement on, in September on the day of atonement. They take a goat and they would say, on you are the sins of the whole nation of Israel. They'd slit its throat and they would do everything with it. And some of the people would eat it. The priest would eat some of it. God would eat, burn up some of it. And some people would eat some of it. They'd take another goat and they'd say, you have the sins of all the people too. And you're banished. And they, they'd hire a guy to take it out in the wilderness and leave it to die a slow and ugly death with all the sins of the people on scapegoat. All of this. And you know why they had the Day of Atonement? God said to take care of all the sins that don't get covered by the sin and guilt offerings and grain offerings and everything else during the year. This just covers it all. Umbrella policy. You know what the problem with that is? It didn't finish. Next day, we're in a new year with new sins and it didn't take care of all sin. You had to have another day of atonement. Couched in the Old Testament with the Old Covenant, with all the sacrifices, our words where God said it wasn't enough either. You can see it in Micah's writings. You can see it in Isaiah's writings. Do not think that I'm pleased with all of your sacrifices. They don't, they don't do enough. God prescribed a system that would fail because the system was supposed to point to our need for a savior and a savior that would be the once for all sacrifice. So that every sacrifice that failed pointed ahead. We need God's justice to be satisfied as sinners, but we need the once and for all sacrifice. In the New Testament, 27 books, a third of your Bible. One that stands out, pastor mentioned it earlier, this friend that sits with you and watches the movie of the Old Testament. Did you catch that? He's saying the writer to the Hebrews, we don't know if it was Paul or Apollos, we don't know. But the writer to the Hebrews is like your friend watching the movie of the Old Testament explaining the Christ-centered nature of the Old Testament. You know why he did that? Because he had friends that were Christians that had been Jews who forgot the storyline and they were going back to Judaism under pressure from their families. You know why? Because the families were saying, 
You left the sacrifices. <clears throat> God gave us all these sacrifices at the temple to take care of our sins, and you left them. You're, you're going off after this Jesus, this cult, this sect. It's too easy. And he said, let me explain to you the meaning of the Old Testament sacrifices. This isn't, wow, wow, this is passionate communication. I'm going to read it to you. He's explaining the movie. And he's going to quote Jeremiah 31. Day after day, the priest stands and performs his religious duties again and again. He offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. If you didn't know until now, now you know who he's talking about, right? Jesus. And since that time that Jesus sat down after he died for sins, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by, you read this with me, by one sacrifice he made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Now, he just said that Jesus replaced all the sacrifices of the Old Testament. Now he says, I'm telling you, it's written in the movie of the Old Testament. I'll show you where it's in Jeremiah 31. Now they didn't have, when he wrote this, they didn't have chapter numbers. That's not till 1200 AD. So he says, the Holy Spirit testifies to us about this. First he says, and he's quoted, by the way, in his letter, he's quoted this section in chapter 8. So he's just re-referring to it. He says, this is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I'll put my law in their hearts and their minds, and I'll write them on their minds. Then he adds, and this is Exodus 31, 31 to 34, pieces of it. This is the covenant. Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is what? No longer necessary. That would turn a Jew's face white. <clears throat> you mean what? You said what? Now let me talk about the failure of the sacrificial system. First of all, it had to provoke in Jewish hearts and families a sense of longing for it to be over. I mean, think about it. You're a little kid. You've got a family a pet, you have some animals, some sheep and goats. And you've got them all named. And your, your dad says, you know, the very best sheep in our herd with confirmation size, shape, everything, it's, uh, it's that little lamb you named Wilbur. I'm picking that intentionally because of Charlotte's Web. That little lamb you named Wilbur. Oh, Daddy, he, Wilbur, is so beautiful. He's like the most handsome sheep we have. You know what we have to do. What do you mean, Daddy? We have to take Wilbur at the Passover. It comes in the spring, and Wilbur's going to be sacrificed. No, Daddy! Not Wilbur! Not any of them! Why does God? I don't like God. Why does he do that? I had a kid. This is really cool. Right before first service today, he said, I said, you coming to Sunday school today? I go, I don't like Sunday school. <laughs> That's pretty bold to tell the preacher that. <laughs> Why don't you like Sunday school? I, they make me sit still. I don't like that. Yeah, I get that. No, Daddy. 
don't, don't. And then the day comes, no, daddy. Can you see in the heart of this little child, the mother, the dad himself, when will it end? Why do we have to do it this way? Why is it always taking our, 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 our animals and sacrificing them? Won't there be a sacrifice to end all of them? And then the prophet steps out into the movie in 600 B.C. and says, this is the covenant. I will remember their sins no more. That means there's no more need for sacrifices. That's what the writer of the Hebrews is telling us, that Jeremiah meant. It's in that context, right? So little, just imagine the high priest calls all of the people one day to the temple. Today's the day that we end all this family upheaval, all this frustration, all this culturally consuming behavior of spilling blood and smelling burning flesh at the house of worship. It's all going to go away. It's all over. And, and, and God is going to give us the once for all sacrifice. And everybody shows up and they go, what is it? What is it? And he, he picks up the, the, the knife and he says, no more sacrifices. The once for all is here. Arteries are spilling out. It falls on the ground. Not what he meant? Did he lose his mind? No. The high priest is the lamb. It's all over the pages of Hebrews telling us the meaning of the moon. The high priest became the lamb. This priest offered, I read it, offered what? Himself. You see how you read it, just kind of pass over it. We're getting our doctrines. No. Do you see what this is? Jesus killed himself. The father killed the son. This would have been too easy. Take the sins of the whole world. It was six hours on a cross after all night up and being beaten. Rejection from everybody. It was ugly. It was death at its finest and life at its worst. Death for you. No more sacrifices. Well, at least Wilbur gets to live. No. Easter. Back from the dead. Risen. Sin is taken care of. Death that results from sin is now asleep as the soul goes to heaven and the body rises up on judgment day the way mine did on Easter. Now I have brought eternal life and no more sacrifices. Because I'm the once for all sacrifice. And I did it. And it's paid for. And you know what? It was the eternal day of atonement. Oh, Hebrews is so full of this stuff. He entered the Holy of Holies in heaven and sprinkled his blood on the mercy seat in heaven. And it lasts for all time. So the day of atonement that only lasted for the last, covered the last 365 days. This one covers eternity in both directions. All sins are paid for. Let's have a party in faith. Now you know what was on Jesus' heart on the night that he gave the Lord's Supper. This thing, the Lord's Supper, 
grows out of the Jewish sacrifices. And this is what I meant when I started today and said, I'm going to dump the truck on you. This grows out of the sacrifices. And I do not, as a teacher of God's word, want to talk to you about the real presence of the body and blood of Christ until I first gave you that background about sacrifices. Almost, not every, but almost every sacrifice in the Old Testament, the people that brought the animal had to eat some of it with God. God ate it in the altar, burning it. The priest ate some, and the family or individual ate some. All the way back to when Moses killed those bull calves and said in Exodus 24 and said, this is the blood of the covenant. 70 people, remember that last week? 70 men went up on the mountain with God and they ate in his presence and they weren't killed by his justice. They were amazed. You know, getting the 70 was hard because they go, I'm not going up there. Only Moses is supposed to go up there. I don't know. He, God kills people growing up there. They went up and they didn't get killed. They ate with God, it says. And it was God showing we fellowship in the sacrifice that I made for you and you bring it. And now we are one and we're participating communing with God over the grace and the animal that lost its life for you to have the grace. They ate the sacrifices. You know where I'm going with this. So here's Jesus. It's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke's gospel. He holds up the bread and says, this is my body given for you. And then he holds up the cup. And he says... This is my blood. Not some lambs. This is my blood of the new covenant. The word new is in Matthew's gospel, which is poured out for many. Truly, I tell you, I will not eat of this from the fruit of the vine until the day that I drink it new in the Father's kingdom. Gentlemen, this is my last supper on earth. I'm going to die my blood. Luke records in his gospel, Jesus, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. The apostle Paul had a problem in his church in Corinth that he had started. So he wrote them a letter to fix the problem. There were two problems. The first problem is addressed in chapter 10. They were inviting people from their pagan families to come to the Lord's Supper as an evangelism tool. That's a problem. The second thing was they were taking the Lord's Supper in the middle of a Sunday potluck meal every Sunday and they were treating it like mere bread and wine, some of them. And they were stuffed in a day when food was scarce. They're taking food and stuffing it in their pockets. That's the unleavened bread in the body of Christ. And some are like taking the wine and go, Ooh, this is good wine and drinking it and getting buzzed. Paul said, that's a problem. Right? Notice how he starts, though. Verse 23, I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus Christ, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it and said, this is my body, which is for you. What? Do this in remembrance of me. And then after the cup, do this in remembrance of me. The, the, the Corinthians were having the Lord's Supper every Sunday. That wasn't bad. That was wonderful because that's what they were supposed to do. Do it in remembrance of me. Jesus never said do it every week. Nobody can say how often. But one thing Jesus wanted was that the sacrament of the Lord's Supper would be taken often 
in remembrance of him who replaced the Jewish sacrifices that were done often. You see it? On that night when he picked up the cup, he said what would make any Jew's face white. And I, in teaching the Lord's Supper one night with a Jew in my class, I saw her, she almost fainted. I said, this replaces the Passover. It's no longer needed. She just went white. This replaces the Passover, the Day of Atonement, the sin offering, the guilt offering, the grain offering, the fellowship offering, all the offerings. One man, one sacrifice. That's what the writer of the Hebrews is saying. This is the blood of the covenant that takes care of all sins. It's the fulfillment of Jeremiah that said there's a new covenant coming. I'll remember their sins no more. I am it. I am the lamb. Now, after I do this, in the life of the New Testament church, take it often. Why? To commune with God in the grace that forgives you. Come back and get forgiveness and grace for the stinking things you did between the last time you took it and now. Not because we need another sacrifice. We don't. But because you need God's blessing of forgiveness just as much as the Old Testament Jew. Oh, people, we're not any better than those Jewish families. We're sinners just like them. We just have a better covenant. We have the Lord's Supper as the meal of the covenant. And guess what? They always ate sacrificed animal. I can't remember preaching it quite this way ever. 29 years. That's, no, that's not epic. That's just my life. But I, I, I bet you haven't. You've gotten in discussions about the real presence. Is the body and blood really present or not? And you, your go-to after, after the passage where Jesus says, this is my body and blood, typically our go-to next thought is, well, what makes common sense? And that's what 75% of Christianity does. They say, it's wine and bread. It tastes like wine and bread. It's, it's not. It's, it's a symbol. Jesus used a lot of symbols. It's a symbol. Wait. Where should we go? I mean, Abraham, if, imagine Abraham when God said, you're going to have a baby. So is Sarah. This is after 20 years have passed, after the promise, after menopause, all that, right? So they're now 85, 95 years old. You're still going to have a baby. What if Abraham would have said, this is in Genesis 15. Uh, I, he, he did start this way, by the way, but he didn't finish that way. I've consulted my reason, God, and... Um, it ain't gonna happen. I, I've looked at it. It's wine and bread. It ain't gonna be bloody blood. Really? No, you consult the Bible. Does the Bible talk about the Lord's Supper anywhere other than the three stories that are all the same story in Matthew, Mark, and yes. I've told you where. Where is it? First Corinthians ten. And 1 Corinthians 11. By the way, it's the only other place. You don't have much to learn from the Bible. But there's a lot to learn from the little bit you have to learn. Go figure out that brain teaser. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 16. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a what? Participation in the blood of Christ. Is not the bread that we break a what? A participation in the body of Christ. You know what this verse is about? You just got to check the context. There's no, no magic here. 
They were Christians who used to be pagans that have a pagan background. In the pagan temple they came from, they had chicken sacrifices and other animals that were all about pagan religion. Oftentimes it was about fertility. Their friends and family, when they wanted to invite them to their Christian church, they said, we have sacrifice too, but it's actually the sacrament. It's the Lord's Supper. We take Christ's body and blood. So even though we left behind the hoopla of all our sacrificial fun at the old temple, you can come and have the Lord's Supper with us. Paul said, hold it. We don't use the Lord's Supper for evangelism. When you take the Lord's Supper, he says here, I read it. You're participating. Remember the Jewish sacrificers, the people participated by eating? You're participating in the body and blood of Christ. Don't be bringing people who don't know or believe what it means and give it to them. We could say that's like giving pearls to swine. Don't do that. You see, that's what he's saying. Now, in walks 75% of Christianity. Uh, I think Jesus meant represents. In walks Paul. Well, if that's what he meant, what's my argument? If we're participating in the body and blood of Christ, he, he goes on to say, if you eat one loaf, you've all become one because you've partaken of one loaf, the body of Christ. You go, okay, pastor, I think you might be saying too much. I can find room in there. It represents. Well, let's go to chapter 11. Let me tell you what the chapter starts with. I mean, the section starts with. I told you earlier, you're, you're, some of you are eating the bread as if it's mere bread and others are drinking the wine and getting a buzz. And he goes, don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Why don't you go do that at home? This is the Lord's body and blood. And then this is verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I passed on to you. Our Lord Jesus Christ on the night He was betrayed took bread. And now look at the last verse of the section after He says, I gave you the Lord's Supper this way. Everybody read verse 26 together with me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Remember the Jewish heart? Won't there be a death of something and someone that will take the, up, the, the death, you know, the need for killing all these animals away? Yes! The death of Christ that saved my stinking soul. It is what He did to save me. When you take the Lord's Supper, you proclaim that. I proclaim it to you, so do the other pastors. When we say the words, you proclaim it to each other. I need the death of Christ. I need a sacrament. I'm a sinner. I need it. I need the grace of Christ. He died for me. And then we throw open the doors of the church and we proclaim it to the world. This is how it connects to chapter 10. You don't bring unbelievers in just to take the Lord's Supper like it's some kind of evangelism tool. No, we're proclaiming you have to have a, a, a sin bearer and he did it. And this is the good news, the gospel. And he did it all for you. And we proclaim it to the world when we take the Lord's Supper. You know what the next verses are? Therefore, whoever eats or drinks this without recognizing the body and blood of Christ eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's why many of you have died. And some of you are sick. 
because God is severe. People, now I'm paraphrasing. I just quoted and now I'm paraphrasing. God is severe people who take his body and blood of his son lightly. 75% of Christianity walks in. I, I think it represents. Paul walks in, then what's my argument? It grew out of Judaism by God's design because Judaism before Christ was holy. And it was leading up to Christ. And then it all was fulfilled in Christ. And then the Christ who fulfilled it held up the cup and said, this is the blood of the covenant, held up the bread. This is my body. It replaces the Paschal lamb. It replaces the atonement lamb. It replaces all the other lambs. And now he says, it's not a sacrifice. It's a sacrament. Somewhere between Jesus and right now, around, I don't know, six you know, 600, the dark ages are 600 to 1500 by a lot of people's estimation. The Roman Catholic Church started calling the parish pastor the what? The priest. Have you ever wondered why I'm not called a priest? I mean, I'm the parish pastor. Catholic Church, they'll call him pastor. They call him priest. It's not. He's not called priest because he's doing uh, weddings or baptisms. He's called a priest because they believe and teach that when he holds up the bread at the beginning, he sacrifices Jesus over again. And the theology trickles off of that into being the mass is a unbloody sacrifice of Christ again. And what does Hebrews 10 say? Once for all. Right? Once for all. That's why the practice in the Roman Catholic Church of saying a mass for other people is legit in their thinking because it's a sacrifice for people. So you can pay the church to do a mass for aunt or uncle or your dad or your mom or yourself. But you're not there either. The whole theology trickles off of this idea that the priest is sacrificing Christ again. He'll even say it in the liturgy. Just careful when you listen. You can find it on YouTube. You know, just find a Catholic Mass. Jesus was sacrificed once. So that's why we're different. Luther was a Catholic priest who became a Bible-teaching reject from the Catholic Church and it was a Protestant. But other Protestants went in Luther's day and very quickly they went to 75% of Christianity saying it represents. And old Martin Luther just, you know, he has all these sayings he said around the dinner table. He said, I'd rather drink blood with the Catholics than mere wine with the other Protestants. But the truth is it's bread and wine and it's body and blood all together to be taken in the faith that this is the sacrifice that replaces all sacrifice. And when I take it, I'm taking Jesus Christ into my body. And I'm supposed to think in my head because I believe that word of Jesus and Paul, I'm supposed to think in my head, man, I feel close to Jesus because I took the Lord's Supper.
I feel close to my wife who's taking it with me. I feel close to the people at church that are taking it with me because we're all taking the body and blood of Christ. Remember 1 Corinthians 10, 16? Don't just use it for your, your friend that you're inviting. You know, just to, for evangelism. Whoa! Let's, let's learn what it means, right? Then you can properly feel close. It all grows out of the gospel. Jesus Christ, the once for all sacrifice. I'm going to say something that's going to scare you as a listener. That was half of my sermon. But the, re- the good news is the next half is not very long. The Lord's Supper replaces the sacrificial system to continually restore sinners to grace. This is the verse. I read it. It's on this yellow sheet. For by one sacrifice, He's made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Remember, no sacrifice. The sacrifices couldn't make you perfect because you're, they didn't cover all your sins. This one did. In God's eyes, because Jesus covers all your sins, yesterday, today, and tomorrow, you are perfect in God's eyes. Isn't that beautiful? Because you're perfect in His eyes, <clears throat> you are supposed to enjoy joyfully and thankfully living like a new person who doesn't have all that guilt in your life. Even if you find out in your own mind and heart that you sinned against somebody and you're feeling bad, you confess it and know it's already forgiven and you can quickly get back on track at loving them and being a nice person and being a good guy and girl, right? We're gradually being made more and more like God, and then we take three steps back and then forward, while we're already made perfect. You want a verse that'll stump your Mormon friends? Give them that one. Because they use the word perfect and perfection, and they're trying to get they're trying to get to a holy place with God when He's already done it. He's already taken care of it. But He's making you holy by renewing you in the gospel. And the gospel continually is your motivation. Now, here comes the big Lutheran statement for sanctification. If you take this Lord's Supper, understanding that you are coming as a sinner who needs God's grace, and that this is the once for all sacrifice that purifies and cleanses you so that you can walk out of here like the Jewish guys used to walk out for a short time after they did their earthly sacrifices, that they are a forgiven sinner and the event of the sacrifice took care of the guilt of their sins and you know that the Lord's Supper takes care of the guilt of all your sins, then, here's the big statement, you have the power to live a new life. So, if we're giving you the power to live a new life in the gospel in a tangible sacrament, who in their right mind would only take it every now and then and maybe even let a year or 10 years pass without taking it thoughtfully, faithfully, seriously? Only if we forget what it really means. Only if we are falling out of our understanding, which is a human problem we all have. Only if we're drifting would we be that person that wouldn't want the Lord's Supper to strengthen their faith 
and their love. The same night, he said, this is the blood of the new covenant. He said, all men will know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. The Lord's Supper is God's love meal. They, they call it the agape feast in Corinth. And that love from God creates a love inside of you to love other people. So you come prayerfully repentant, believing in the Christ that died for you. He's given to you and you take him inside of you and you feel close to God. And you go, I'm going to do, it's going to give me the strength to be a better person. It's gas in the tank. Closing illustration. Um, I had a long week of travel that I didn't mind. It went, went to a meeting for three days in Broken Bow, Oklahoma, and then came home, driving home. That's a six-hour drive, and flew to Lubbock and then drove home from Lubbock. And, uh, yesterday morning, decided I want to go see my son for his birthday. My our oldest of four. He lives three hours away, about 200 miles. My wife, Mary, she's overseeing our granddaughter, lucky her. She's over there for the weekend. So I'm going to go see Donovan and his family for his birthday, right? Dads do that. They love their kids. They want them to know their love. That's part of the illustration. So I drive over there. I only spent four hours, maybe, and then we went to dinner. He got to pick the place. And, and I want, I want my, my sole intention as a dad, this isn't really about Donovan and me. It's about God and you. My sole intention as a dad was to put some gas in his tank. Now, I know you guys know there's a double meaning to that. Gas in his tank. But um, I wanted to fill up his heart with his dad's love that the church wasn't so important that he couldn't come over and say hi and happy birthday. Donovan's our oldest. That's special. Well, they're all special. But So I thought, I'd, you know, I'm melodramatic. He's not. He's like the polar opposite. We're at dinner and I go, Donovan, I just want you to know that you're special because I've known you longer than all of your brothers. And Wesley's nine, his son, he looks up and he goes, Papa, that means nothing. He's the firstborn. You didn't have any control over that. <laughs> well, okay. Well, he's his daddy's son. But I did say, Donovan, I just want you to know that I love you and I'm proud of you. And the only reason I said that was I wanted to put some gas in his tank. And, it, and, I, and it's been a great 34 years and I hope I get to spend a lot more life with you. And... But long after that, we went home to his home and then I said goodbye and drove home. Got home at 11.30. That was important to me. That's why I'm telling you. And I believe it was important to him. This is God driving to your life and giving you gas in your tank. This is your father saying, I gave up my son and I love you. I want you to know I'm proud of you and I love you and I've given you grace for the times I'm not proud of you, so we're good. Come and take it. And now maybe like never before, maybe just like sometimes before, you're ready to take the Lord's Supper today in your own special way between you and God because you know so much more and have been reminded of so much more that it means to Him, not just to you. Amen. Thanks again for listening to Tell Podcasts. 
Tell's mission is simple, teaching you the real gospel so you can teach others. Remember, truth brings peace. For more about Tell, visit us on Facebook or at tellnetwork.org.